Hi, I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health, fitness, and well-being space to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. As always, I'm your host, Leanne Spencer. And my guest this week is somebody that I met uh, about six weeks ago now. I was invited up to do a talk at his a brilliant event up in a big fish tank in Hull called The Deep. It is Martin Johnson. Now, Martin is the founder of Trans2 Performance, so perform consultancy and expertise around thought leadership and organizational culture. We're going to hear a lot more about what that organization does in a second. He's an ex-serviceman, having served, I believe, four or five years in the Royal Navy. He delivers lots of talks on mindset, organizational culture, productivity, the sales process, purpose. And I can testify for the fact he's a brilliant speaker. We've shared the stage, as I mentioned, and he's charismatic, he's impactful, and he's passionate about his topic. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Martin's worked at big organizations like Gartner and Data Monitor in the past and describes himself as a performance improvement evangelist, which is a term I love. Martin, welcome to the show. Hi, Leanne. Lovely to be invited. So thank you very much. Oh, absolute pleasure. So, Martin, let's start. Just describe, I alluded to your business, trans Performance, but just give us a, a quick summary of what it is you do and the value you bring to your customers. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, trans Performance, we started three and a half years ago, I think it is now. This is our fourth year, and time is flying, and it's been a wonderful journey. But as you alluded to in the introduction, my background is very much ex-military and then into instantly in the consulting world in business. And for seven, several years of, of those, I was really fortunate. I worked for Gartner, who were a global technology consulting business. And yes, they do a lot of business consulting and leadership stuff, but their main focus is advising companies on how they can use technology and exploit technology to, uh, to drive competitive advantage and, and business growth. And now I loved my time at Gartner, Leanne. I really, really did. But along the way, I sort of grew slightly frustrated that companies, if you like, and organizations were spending millions of dollars or millions of pounds and multi-millions of pounds on technology and process and products and service and very little on people in comparison. Mm-hmm. It just didn't sit right because I always had this sort of uh, burning passion for the human element, the cultural element of performance within organizations. And I wanted to just simply redress the balance and do something about it. And you know what these things are like. I thought, well, if you really want to make a difference, you're going to have to have a go. Mm. So I decided to leave my career. I came back to Hull. I set up Trans2 Performance. And my first initial sort of offering or service, if you like, was I wanted to impact leadership training and start at the top. So I generated and created some of my ideas and concepts around leadership, packaged them up into a sort of training day or a training module. And I started, I went out there and got my first handful of clients and started delivering leadership training. Hmm. Fast forward four years, I would describe as now we've evolved. We deliver training, consulting, events, technology, all in the areas of leadership management and I separate leadership and management out into different things but leadership management sales customer service but everything we do we underpin with sort of psychology or the neuroscience element of performance and I think that's what's been really interesting and helped us succeed in these early years yeah. So Martin how much of your experience in the Royal Navy informed what you do now? Have you taken a lot of that and transferred it across? Oh, great question. Great question. I would say that joining the Royal Navy at 16 years old was really the the turning point in my life. As a result, 
of the fact that I was probably a little rag. I was from a council estate. I was probably on not the wrong path, but I was certainly not on a path at that time. So I was sort of uh, drifting around. And when I joined the Royal Navy, I had to grow up very quickly. Joining the military at 16 teaches you a lot. But I think to answer your question in terms of what about the military prepared me for the work we do now, I would say it would be understanding social sciences. So what you have to do very quickly in the military is adapt socially. Mm. Very quickly you find yourself amongst 250 men and women on a warship, for example, from all different backgrounds who are all different ages, all different personality styles. If you're going to thrive or you're going to get on, you have to start learning very quickly how to adapt to different types of personalities and people. And I think that's what the military does. It allows you to build the soft and social skills very, very quickly and navigate politics and conflict and build a level of emotional intelligence. And don't get me wrong, you make some mistakes along the way. But I think after doing that for five years, by the time I reached my early 20s and came out of the military and into the world of business, I was quite well-versed socially. And I think if you think about what we do at Transfer Performance, we are a company who explores performance psychology from a social perspective. Mm. I think it's put me in really good stead, if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And I would have thought there's quite a lot of transferable skills and as you say, the softer skills and the EQ and the social adaptability. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And one thing, some of the things we're going to talk about are mindset, moving past limiting beliefs, how to get unstuck and also the mindset, having the mindset to motivate others. And I think for some of the people listening, they're going to be leaders, but many people listening to this probably aren't. And I think all of those things we've just talked about, the mindset, limiting beliefs, getting unstuck, are not only relevant for both those types of audiences, but probably very relevant for around the time that this podcast episode is going to be going out. So let's start off with mindset. And again, I imagine you're probably drawing quite a lot from your experience in the Navy and possibly before from the the inference of what you said. What is it that drives mindset in your opinion? Good question. I think you make a good point there, Leanne, about it is universally relevant, his mindset. I mean, whether you are an individual just trying to find your way through life, whether you're a mother or a father, whether you're an entrepreneur who wants to start a business, a leader within a business, or somebody who's working as an employee within an organization, the right type of mindset is absolutely essential. But understanding what it is and where it comes from, like you say, what drives mindset is, for me, essential. Um, I don't want to get too scientific probably on, on this podcast, but I guess where I'd always start with what drives mindset is, If you strip us right back as human beings, right? If you strip us right back, we are an animal. Mm -hmm. Two million years ago, we foraged the earth like any other species on earth, right? We're an animal and we always will be. And what we've done over the years through our studies in psychology and performance psychology, we look at what that means. So what does it mean to be an animal? And we have three, in my opinion and in my experience, we have three functions as a human being. We have three main if you like, functions that we always will default to or want to satisfy. Number one being survival, right? When you strip us back, we have to survive as a species. And we have a part of our brain, for anybody out there listening to this podcast who has read books like The Chimp Paradox by Steve Peters or any of Dan Goldman's work on it. Mm, Great book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Any, I would highly recommend that. Or any any Dan Goldman's work from on emotional intelligence. You know, Mm. survival is our is our number one thing, which is why the part of our brain, the fastest part of our brain to react, 
and advisors in any given moment is the limbic system. And the limbic system is responsible for feelings and emotions. It's fight or flight. So we have to have that, the first brain response we have in any situation, even in modern day world, is am I at risk here or is this important? Mm. And that survival instinct is still going to be with us and always going to be with us as humans. And that drives a lot of our mindset. The second purpose I think we have, or the second thing that drives us that we have to satisfy is reproduction. So as well as surviving as a species, we've got to find a mate and reproduce, right? So our brain's very clever in the fact that it releases different chemicals to drive fight or flight, but it also releases different chemicals, one in particular called dopamine, which actually gives us our our attractions and desires and reward. So it's why we look at a member the same or opposite sex and think they're okay. It's why sex is great. It's why we have to continue the species because, you know, we would die out very quickly if we didn't. So survival and reproduction, when you strip us right back, are what we are fundamentally made to do, which is why we have fight or flight within us as our first response and we also have fulfillment and reward. And the third sort of part of our what drives our mindset is purpose and what i mean by that leanne is so we have to survive as a species and we have to continue the species but also we at an individual level we have to feel like we we serve a purpose we contribute in some way to society or in life we have a sense of belonging and for many people it's their career in the modern day world for many others it's hobbies or it might be family or it might be a mixture of all three but To answer your question, if I summarize my point there, is what drives mindset of human beings? Well, it's survival, fight or flight. It's our number one thing that we're still trying to live by, which drives our behaviors and the way we think. It's the tribe we have around us. It's continuation of the species and then our responsibilities for that close tribe. And then it's also at an individual level, feeling like we contribute in some way that we have purpose. And I think if you understand that, then you will understand that you can be driven into a counterproductive mindset through Mm. fear and threat on a survival instinct, or you can be driven into a positive, what I call challenge state mindset, which will come to driven by reward and fulfillment. Yeah. And it's those two different types of mindset that you just alluded to that I was going to ask you to go into, actually, because you talked about that quite a lot in the talk you delivered at the event. We were both at your events. So tell us a bit more about the challenge mindset and then the contrary mindset to that. Yeah, I do a lot of work with people who are struggling with stress, anxiety or mental health issues and or depression or whatever it might be. And Almost always, I can pinpoint it to the type of mindset, habitual mindset that they've got themselves in. Now, when you strip performance psychology back, driven from what I've just said, our need to survive, reproduce, and have purpose, um, the way you interpret the things that happen in life externally or situations, you will either interpret them as a challenge or a threat. Now, the difference between the two is very, very small but the output on the way we think and our performance is huge right so the release of cortisol into our brain is a fight or flight mechanism it's there to say switch on something is important or you are at risk now by sheer nature it will always default us to feel under threat right to have that elevated state of of emotion and concentration where we hone into whatever might be the threat or what might be wrong so if we're not careful and we're not conscious, we can get driven into a threat state most days of our life. But let me just explain the definition between the two. Mm-hmm. So a challenge state mindset is when 
we as people are focused in the moment entirely on what we want to achieve. We're aware of the consequence. We're aware of repercussions or what might go wrong or failure or whatever it might be. And this can be in our personal life or in the workplace. We're aware of consequence or failure or repercussion, but we are absolutely focused on the positive achievement of the task at hand. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Whereas a threat state is where we release almost too much cortisol or we interpret it in a completely different way where we're starting to focus now almost entirely on the consequence of what may happen or the repercussions or the failure of the task at hand, almost eradicating any focus on achievement. It's where we're trying to not mess up. It's where we're simply trying to avoid things going wrong or avoid the consequence of what may happen. And if you just think about that slight shift in mindset, and we can all resonate with that day to day, a human being in a challenged state is aware of consequence and threat. They feel the elevated state, but they're absolutely focused on what they want to do or achieve. Mm. Whereas the other human in a threat state is just becoming consumed by the consequence of what may happen. And in a personal or professional perspective, which one would you bet on being the most productive or able to execute or rise to the challenge? You know, it's, mm. a, it's clear to see. But for me, I feel passionately about this topic because I believe that the challenge and threat state mindset is a choice. I believe you can't control from that survival instinct our brain releasing cortisol to say something is important or you might be at risk here. We can't stop that and we can't control that. It's human nature, right? Keeps us alive. Mm -hmm. But what we can control, and this is what I say to a lot of people, is how we interpret it. Is this a challenge or is it a threat? And how much do you think that's dictated? Well, I guess you don't think it's dictated by nature because you think that's a choice. But from prior experience, that must surely have a huge bearing on it, right? Yeah. Or your perception of previous experiences. Absolutely. And, you know, the way it works is when you're unconsciously going through life, you're not making the conscious decision of challenge or threat. Some people unconsciously rise to a challenge and some people will unconsciously rise to the threat. So you're not in control of it. But what happens is if you go through too many experiences in life where you see them as a threat and you are constantly recording that in your brain, in the storage center of your brain, if you like, and you do that for a prolonged period of time, then you get yourself into almost like a threat state mindset mentality on an ongoing basis. So every time something arises, you see it as a threat, you become consumed by the consequence, you become indecisive, you don't make decisions, you don't commit to the outcome of whatever it is you want to commit to, and it leads to ongoing anxiety and stress. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas if you are... And there's some lucky people out there, right, Leanne, who there's some really lucky people out there who seem to take the world on every day very easily. They're very positive. They don't get knocked easily. They're quite resilient, right? And they've just got themselves into the opposite habit. So they've got themselves viewing most things that come their way as a challenge. And they'll get very practical and very pragmatic and they'll focus on what they can control and will crack on with it. Mm. And they've got themselves in a complete opposite type of ongoing mindset, which is a challenge state, even if they're not conscious of it. So my job and what we're trying to achieve here is say, well, let's bring it to everybody's conscious and let's try and give them some tools and some understanding on if you are in that category of, of a threat state mindset, driven by certain personality styles or motivators or whatever it might be, or just history, how do you break that cycle? 
And if you're a challenge state, you know, mindset type person, how can we bring this into our conscious and make it even greater and keep it going and, you know, build upon it? Mm-hmm. And that's what we're here to do, really. Yeah, I was just going to add that one tool I think, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what yours are in a second, for moving toward that challenge mindset. If you're in a mindset where you tend to see you're driven by the consequences of messing up, one immediate thing you can do if you're kind of concerned about that all the time is to start blocking out other sources of anxiety or drama or fear. And the media is a big one. Now, I don't know if that's one of the tools that you've got, but I was advised by a business mentor to, to have a news ban. Just don't read it. Don't watch it. You're not going to get anything out of it that's, that's helpful to you. And that might sound a bit selfish, but actually, if I'm not going to do anything about the situation in Syria, for example, do I need to know about that kind of stuff? You know, most of the media is fear, drama, propaganda, shame. And my mindset's been strengthened by avoiding all those sources of, as I say, fear and drama and so on. Is that one of your tools? Yeah. I mean, you raise a really valid point because in some of my talks and in in some of our sessions, I talk a little bit around the 24-hour sensationalist media that we are exposed to in the modern day world, you know, and I talk about the journey of the last hundred years. And if you just think about this for a second, what you're saying, Leanne, makes perfect sense. So, you know, we started off a hundred years ago, right, with basically first-hand information as a human being. So, you know, if you think about, we'd get up in the morning, we'd have breakfast with our family, we'd have a conversation, we'd go off to our place of work, we'd usually walk, we'd engage with two dozen people in the place of work, and then we'd come home, we'd engage with our family again, and then we'd, we'd go to bed. And they estimate that 100 years ago, and that was if you were a male back then, because males tended to go to work and the females tended to look after children, and, and that's just the way the culture was then. So, as a human being back 100 years ago, your brain was influenced by probably 150 inputs socially a day, right? That's really digestible. Mm. It's not going to release too much cortisol. You're not going to be put into a threat state too much in, in that type of routine. And therefore, it was pretty bearable. Then you fast forward to the emergence of TV and radio, right, 25 years later. We could now do uh, get access to first-hand information, but we could also now hear about world events and news. So you could hear about things that were happening further afield and any announcements and all the rest of it. So we started to become influenced, our brain, by nearly 1,500 inputs a day. So we started to become more exposed to threat state triggers, right, by listening to what was happening in the war or whatever it might be at the time, or redundancies or illness or whatever it might be. And then you fast forward to to the modern day, almost sort of 30 years ago or so, where the emergence of, of personal computers and the internet. So when the first personal computer and the internet was launched, we could now have first-hand information. We could listen to TV, read newspapers, listen to the radio, etc. We could then now go online and at the click of a button on a personal computer, we could find any information from across the globe, right, or most information. So our brains became influenced by an unprecedented amount of information. They estimate up to 30,000 inputs a day. Wow. Now you fast forward to today, 2018, we have the emergence of smartphones and on-demand digital where we are constantly being pinged and notified every sort of 25 minutes, and that is the average right so mm-hmm. every 25 minutes we are being pinged and notified from instant messenger email phones digital platforms social media right um uh, first-hand information and our brains become overloaded with information up to a hundred thousand inputs a day now wow. to put that into context we consume in 2018 enough information per day 
right, to fill a modern-day computer storage in a week, and we consume that a day. So all of those inputs, you're absolutely right, have the potential to release cortisol and to send us in a threat state. You've done it yourself where you scroll down social media and you see something on terrorism, you see something on cancer rates, you put the six o'clock news on while you're having your evening meal in front of your kids, and it's all of the announcements around the catastrophic things that are happening around the world. And it's enough to frighten or put the fear of God in most people. And if you Mm. remember what I said earlier, certainly if you are already susceptible to threat state mindset anyway, you know, it's enough to really worry you. Yeah, it's a cognitive bias, isn't it? It is. You'll see, oh my God, the world is a threatening and dangerous place. I'm right to worry. Yeah, that's, see, it'll be fed. You know, if anybody's listening to this podcast who is scared of flying, for example, and my wife is a perfect example of this, right? You're scared of flying because, first of all, you're not in control. So you take the control away from a human being and the fear of falling out the sky and all the rest of it immediately engulfs you. But, you know, then you have children. So now you carry the burden of survival on behalf of one, two or three other people at the same time, which then emphasizes the fear. But you look on the media, right? I was saying to my wife the other day, the one plane that has an accident, right, in 10 years is put all over the news. Mm. with pictures and how many people have died and how catastrophic it is. And it is enough to stop people from wanting to fly. Yet if you strip it back and you look statistically at uh, air travel over the last, you know, 50 to 100 years, it is by far the safest form of travel. You know, Mm. I read somewhere the other day, on average, 25 billion flights have happened since the first airplane went up and there's been 1,500 fatal incidents out of 25 billion 1500 right yeah so when your brain when you interpret that situation as completely different you're far more likely to be in a challenge state getting on a plate rather than being out of control worrying about the threat and consequence of what might happen mm. and this is how the mind works it's a really clever thing but it can consume us at times you know absolutely yeah so what else can people do to change their mindset from threat to challenge new span is one yeah yeah it's ban, absolutely So I also think that you need to, I use a a technique called the ABC technique with people. And for me, it's always when I recognize if I'm at a challenge or threat state crossroads, and that's the key. We are all human, no matter even the most resilient people amongst us, right? We all get to the point where we approach the challenge and threat state crossroads in our life, whether it's a disagreement with a family member, whether it's a confrontation in the office, whether it's a physical danger or traveling or whatever it might be, right? We all we all hit the crossroads. So you've got to recognize when you're there. You've got to recognize when you're feeling unsure, you're feeling that you're about to be focusing too much on the consequence of what might happen. And when you get there, I always teach a technique called the ABC technique. And it's simple to remember because of, because of the ABC acronym, if you like, but it's simple to remember because it's something you can do in the moment. So the A for me is acknowledgement. So... If you're listening to this podcast and you're one of those people who lay awake at night, right, and you're worrying about trivial things that keep coming into your head and 45 minutes later you're still not asleep, mm. but you're, you're keep worrying about these things, whether it's the presentation you've got to give on Friday or whether you've checked the, that the door's locked downstairs or have I packed the kids' school lunch for the school trip tomorrow, whatever it might be, Right, what happens when you're laid there and you're trying to forget about things? What you push it away, and then what happens within ten seconds? Usually, mm. it comes back. 
Of course, yeah. So you're trying to push it when you think, go to sleep now, stop thinking about that, go to sleep, and then it comes back in. So, so the first part of the ABC technique is when you have a worry, an isolated worry or a threat state trigger, you have got to acknowledge and accept it. It is a basic human thing, is stress. It's there, as we've established earlier in the podcast, to keep us alive, to switch us on to danger. So instead of trying to push it away, acknowledge it. I always give my wife a great tip because she's a chronic worrier. Next to the bed, she has a pad and a pen, and we've got touch lights, so it doesn't make any noise. So if she's thinking about something she's worried about the consequence of later in the week, she switches the light on. She writes two or three actions that she's going to do tomorrow to alleviate this worry, and she switches the light off. Mm. Within five minutes, Leanne, she's asleep. <laughs> because the worst thing you can do with a worry or with, with something you deem as a threat is push it away and not welcome it because it will keep coming back tenfold and it will only increase the anxiety and the worry of consequence. So she writes it down because the, I always say actions and decisions alleviate anxiety. There is nothing more powerful than a decided mind. Mm. There isn't. When we are undecided or when we are in limbo and we don't make decisions, anxiety builds. So she switches the lights on. She, t- she writes two or three actionable things down she's going to do. She switches the lights off. She goes to sleep because she knows it's out ahead and it's on the pad. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So acknowledge is the first step. Acknowledge is the first step. Yeah. The second step of the ABC is breathing. Now, People are into mindfulness. Some people are into mindfulness. Some people are not. It's not just some hippie thing is mindfulness. There's science behind it because your physiology affects your psychology. So when we moderate or slow our breathing down, it actually helps us reduce some of that chemical release in our brain called cortisol. So mm. if you look at the best sportsmen and women in the moment who are out there, they'll take slow deep breaths and they'll mm. moderate their breathing before they take the penalty, before they kick for goal, before they go out for the first round in a boxing match, whatever it might be. Yep. Moderating your breathing allows you to delay what we call sensory shutdown. So the more you breathe, your breathing becomes erratic or you're not moderating it, you will release more cortisol. The more cortisol floods your brain, you experience sensory shutdown. So yeah. you'll start having tunnel vision. You'll start losing hand-eye coordination. Yeah, a few things. Though. I think breathing is the most powerful way you can change your physiology that I've come across. I wear a bit of wearable tech called the Aura Ring, which some of my listeners will be familiar with. And I can see, based on the physiological responses, I reduced heart rate, increased heart rate variability, that when I'm meditating and breathing, it has a noticeable change in my physiology that the ring picks up on. So it's quite extraordinary. And I was going to say, it's not uncommon now to see basketball players sitting at the edge of the court, meditating or breathing. It's not uncommon to see other sports people do that. And the the example that really stands out for me is, is watching Johnny Wilkinson go for that penalty, that kick, actually, when we won the World Cup. Anytime he takes a kick, he'll stand there and move his weight from one leg to the other and steady his breathing. And, and I think what he does is he actually puts the ball into a box and shuts out the rest of the crowd and the, the arena. But it's exactly what you're saying regulating physiology. Yeah, absolutely. Another example is Novak Djokovic in tennis. If you watch him between games and sets, he sits down, he closes his eyes, he sits upright with his posture and he just breathes throughout the entire break. So mindfulness has a science behind it. Now, I'm not saying that when you approach the the threat state crossroads, you have to quickly find a room and go and sit and close your eyes and start breathing, right? You can do it in the moment. So if you're about to give a presentation, if you're in a meeting and it's your turn to talk, if you're 
just gearing up in the morning for or a big day, you can do it wherever you are because moderating your breathing and slightly just consciously slowing it down allows you to delay any sensory shutdown, any anxiety, and it gives you a moment to do the third and final aspect of the ABC technique, which is control. Mm-hmm. And this is fundamentally the most important one. Most people get themselves into a threat state by worrying on the things they cannot control. We call it hypothetical worries. Mm -hmm. Things that have either happened in the past, right, that you can't control, or things that you perceive may happen in the future that you can't control. So when you are a hypothetical worrier, you can spend your life in a threat state. So the C of ABC is, yes, you've acknowledged the worry and it's normal, it's fine, don't not wish it, accept it, moderate your breathing and give yourself a minute or two to delay sensory shutdown and find your bearings. And then the C is, what do I control in the here and now that will allow me to alleviate any worry of what may happen further down the line? Hence the pad and the pen next to the bed and writing a few practical actions down for the next morning. You know, the to-do list, Leanne, in business is the most underutilized, underrated system there is. People who are listening to this, right, if you, like me, you write your 10, 11, 12, whatever it is, to-do list in the morning, and I just work my way through them, crossing them off as I do them. And when you get in the car at the end of the day or you sit down and you've nailed your to-do list, is there anything more fulfilling than that, right? Is there anything more rewarding? I love it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very much my mother's daughter. She'll do a to-do list every day. Sometimes she'll put things on there she's already done for the sheer pleasure and dopamine release of ticking them off. And I'm not wildly yeah. dissimilar. I completely agree about the to-do list. But Martin, sadly, we're out of time. And as always, I plan to talk to you about a lot more than 30 minutes can accommodate. So maybe we need to do a part two of this. But is there anything you want to leave people on in terms of transforming mindset? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I'm very much up for doing a second one if if it's popular and and you want to come back and revisit some stuff. But I think just to encapsulate what we've talked about, you know, challenge and threat state mindset is is there, right? It's all based on survival, fight or flight, or our reward and fulfillment needs as human beings. Now, what I will say is, and I want people to sort of take away from this, is it is a conscious choice. Right? We cannot control the stress response in terms of it happening. It's a natural thing. We cannot control the cortisol flood in our brain to say switch on. Something is important to you or you are at risk. What we can control is how we interpret it. Mm. And I want you to the next time you face something where you feel uneasy, where it gives you concern, where you feel worried or where you feel anxious, I want you to stop in the moment and I want you to think ABC acknowledge it because it's a normal human thing. It's not just you, right? You're not out of control. It's a normal thing. B, just breathe for a minute or two. Moderate your breathing. Let it sink in. Accept and acknowledge how you're feeling. And then finally, move on to C. What do I control in the here and now, right, that I can take action on, which will help me alleviate this outcome or avoid the consequence or focus on what I want to achieve? Mm. And if you try and do this, right, it'll be hard in the beginning. It'll take practice and repetition, but sooner or later, it will become habitual. You will become a natural challenge state thinker rather than being consumed by the threat. And and that's the tip, if, if that makes sense, that I would I'd, I'd finish this podcast on. Yeah, absolutely. I completely endorse that. And a lot of what you say kind of backs up our philosophies and advice that we've been giving on, on other episodes. So Martin, thank you very much. Your business URL, the company is Trans2 Performance, and that's Trans2, which is the number two, 
transtubeperformance.com. You are Martin Jono, so Martin J-O-H-N-O 82 on Twitter. People can get hold of you through your business website, but is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of social media links? You're on LinkedIn as well, Martin Johnson. Yeah, on LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn. We're active on Twitter, which you've just given out. We also have an at Trans2P Twitter account from our company account, which we post to some of our videos and, and content. We're on YouTube under Martin Johnson Trans2, so you could search some of our YouTube content. But yeah, absolutely. Visit us, check out our stuff, give it a share. And just say to you, Liam, thank you for having me. Pleasure. We do our own podcast series, which I want to return the favour and get you on as a guest. Yep, I'd love that. In one of our future ones, maybe as well. Yeah, sounds great. Okay, Martin, thank you very much for your time. Awesome. Thank you, Leanne. Enjoyed that and I'll speak to you soon. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? Jump on our website, www.bodyshotsperformance.com and click on Take the Test. It'll take you through to a short two to three minute test. And at the end of that, you'll get a scorecard and a free 39 page report based on our six signals, sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please think of someone who could really benefit from the content and hit that share button and send it across to them. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. Thank you very much for listening.